You're listening to the Timony Leader Series podcast, brought to you by Timony Leadership Institute. Welcome to our Timony Leader Series. My name is Ronan O'Farrell, the CEO of the Timony Leadership Institute, and you're very welcome to our interview with Dr. Kevin Majors. Dr. Majors is a practicing psychiatrist based in Boston and he's on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School where he teaches psychiatrists in training. He's also the founder of Optimal Work, an organization which promotes a positive psychology of work and which helps individuals and leaders transform themselves day by day. Kevin is an author and hosts a weekly podcast called The Golden Hour where he shares practical tools to challenge yourself uh, to work at your best. And I'd, I'd highly recommend uh, taking a look at that podcast and you, you may find it as helpful in your work and, and personal life as, as indeed I, I do. So delighted to, uh, to welcome you, Kevin, and thanks for joining us on the, the Timony Leader Series. Great to have you here. Great to be here, Ronan. Thanks so much for inviting me. So our, our, uh, our theme is on how to grow through your leadership challenges. And uh, maybe just before we delve into the discussion, if any of our listeners have questions or comments during the session, uh, please do use the, the Q&A box at uh, the bottom of, of your screen and we'll try to get to, uh, to some of those questions. You can even uh, upvote for ones that you, you'd uh, like to, to be asked. But, well, Kevin, uh, many of our listeners today are in leadership positions and have faced quite a unique set of challenges in both work and and personal lives in the past year and indeed uh, stretching into this year. So I I sense there's a a general weariness and fatigue which the latest lockdown has produced for many people and our our personal resilience is definitely being, being tested. So some of us are probably asking, how can I be more resilient? So maybe if I can ask you that question, what is resilience and how can we have more of it? Yeah, this is a big question in everyone's mind. How can the current challenges actually help us? How do you put them really to the best use? I think that it's a question of changing your relationship to challenge itself. Many times when we're facing challenges, we see that that these challenges that keep recurring don't necessarily bring out the best in us. And I would encourage people listening to this to think about the challenge. Right now, one of the challenges you're facing that you think is bringing out the worst in you. Mm-hmm. Think of the challenge you're putting off, you know, where you procrastinate the most. That challenge, I would say, is precisely where you're going to have the deepest growth in your character, in your skills, in your personal life and relationships, once you decide to, in a positive way, engage that challenge and then actively challenge yourself to grow in it. So resilience, I think, is really a new word for the old concept of fortitude. And fortitude really means facing up to challenges and thriving on them. And that means growing and learning and practicing as, as you approach challenge. And, and what if, if, that, uh, if that challenge seems overwhelming in, in some way, an external challenge? Mm, I know. And you're right to say overwhelming and external in the very same breath. Mm. Because when we're overwhelmed, 
it's a question of the location of the challenge. Where is it? Is it outside of you or inside of you? When the challenge is outside of you, it feels external to you, like something out there. And it takes away your energy. It's enervating and overwhelming. But within that, hidden within that challenge, there is something that you could get better at, something that would make that challenge easier and enjoyable and even and meaningful. And that is what you have to locate and then actively challenge yourself in it. The moment you start actively challenging yourself to grow in whatever that thing is you've been avoiding, you no longer feel overwhelmed. When you're overwhelmed, the challenge in some way is imaginary for you. It's in your head still. But when you engage it, it's real and doable. So we just try to get people to not try when they feel overwhelmed, just to push their way through unthinkingly. Instead, pause and try to see what would it look like for me to engage this challenge at my very best. That is a key then to, the, to seeing a path you know, to, for this challenge to actually be good for you. And then you can embrace it. Okay. Okay. So are, are challenges then always a good thing for us? Growth is always a good thing and challenges are the only way we grow. So if you went to a gym that didn't challenge you at all, there's nothing there that made your muscles actually flex. Well, then there'd be no growth in that gym. Hmm. So life is like a gym. And so, and that whatever seems to be the challenge you would complain most about and dread the most is precisely the best workout for you. The reason it's hard is that's where your growth lies. So you have to see not the aspect of it just as hard, but no, to see there's a way that you can learn to engage this challenge. And then as you start to grow, you get an incredible surge of energy. Okay, so you, you'd, you'd see these challenges and let's say a, practical, a leadership challenge as more as an opportunity to, to grow and, and, and through this to, to develop that resilience all the time. Exactly. And as soon as you say opportunity, what we're talking about in one sense is what's called reframing. Oh. Reframing is a, is a, it's like a psychological jujitsu move. It's, a, it's an art where you take something that seems like a threat and you flip your way of viewing it to now it feels like an opportunity. And you do that by thinking, is there any kind of skill or quality that I could grow in that would make me thrive in, in the midst of that challenge? And there always is. Is there any role model you have that could handle this challenge very well? This is your chance to be like them. So reframing is changing your view of the, the challenge so that instead of just being a threat you want to avoid, it's an opportunity to be embraced. That causes a profound shift in your, the, like, the entire functioning of the brain. When you reframe, you activate the highest part of your cortex, it's the ventromedial prefrontal cortex. That allows you to engage reality in a new way not just treating it as some rote thing that you've seen many times, you know, and that you've avoided many times. Now it's like a new opportunity. And it allows you to bring your fullest IQ, your whole intelligence into engaging that challenge. While you're seeing it as a threat, you actually get stuck in what we call threat mode. And threat mode is all about minimizing challenge and minimizing effort and work. And that is not a place for a leader to thrive. Okay, okay, which is kind of running away a bit from the challenge that's there and yes, hoping it will go away by itself. It. Yeah, we all tend to do it. Mm. But, and that's why the running away is understandable and it's automatic. 
the engaging, it needs to be intentional. It needs to be deliberate and reflective. Okay. And what advice would you have for leaders on helping others in their team to to be more resilient? Uh, perhaps they're you know facing facing the same similar or challenges. Mm -hmm. And uh, can they can a leader help, or is this a journey that each person has to go on by themselves? I think that leaders are able to create a tone around them and that tone can reflect their view of challenge so that if the leader is viewing you know is in threat mode and is trying to minimize challenges he or she is going to be projecting a sense that that the difficulties are obstacles and people are going to end up complaining i think the number one question for a leader to ask is is there a culture of complaining in in my set in my office the culture of complaining means that people are going to be in threat mode. They're going to be avoiding challenge. They're going to be procrastinating on things. They're going to be just getting by and just getting things done. That's completely different than people who are excited about growing, who have leaders who are helping them think about ways they can grow, who are helping them to reframe challenges. When you help others to take to make that flip, whatever the thing was that they were complaining about and dreading, to now see a way forward where it can actually bring out the best in them. That's the essence of giving encouragement. Mm. To be encouraging is to help others reframe. And the tone of an office, the tone of any kind of corporation can be either encouraging or discouraging. And it has to do with the leader's view, in a large part, of challenge. Okay, very good, very good. And in, in that uh, sort of... Could you give a particular example, maybe, of reframing a challenge? What what what's involved in that? In in reframing a challenge. Well, you, you can think of it. Um, think of a person who annoys you, and that you would dread having to be in a meeting with or dread having to work with. Okay, you could just then view that person as a threat. Maybe not like you're intimidated by the person, but you just you would rather avoid them, and your avoidance of them becomes more and more just automatic. Okay, that person is giving you a unique chance to practice growing in the best and highest qualities. We call them ideals. Mm -hmm. So you could think, okay, maybe this person is giving me a chance to be, well, maybe they're a complainer. And so it's giving you a chance to learn how to be encouraging, to learn how to be understanding, to learn how to be cheerful, even with people who bother you. And you could ask yourself, if you got really good at that, and say people who bother you can actually get, they bring out of you this embracing of the challenge in a cheerful way, who else in your life would benefit? Well, your family would benefit, right? You're, those closest to you would benefit. Wouldn't mm -hmm. it be wonderful that even when you're tired and not looking forward to something, you could still respond in a positive, optimistic, cheerful way? So once you start looking at growing in ideals, finding ways to exercise patience, understanding, cheerfulness, then the very people who are hardest to deal with are like, they give you the best workout. They give you actually, they're like the best gym you could have. And you could think, you know, if I can handle this person and if I can stay positive and cheerful, then I could do it anywhere. So whenever you're thinking about growing in ideals, you're really thinking about long-term growth versus short-term feeling good. Okay. Yeah, if you let the person have it and you're rude to them, you might like momentarily feel a little bit of relief, but that's short-term. And leaders always need to be thinking of the long term. Long term. And even in themselves, what's the best kind of long term growth? 
And then you make the reframing even more secure by thinking of one practical skill you would then be growing in. And maybe the skill would be dealing with an annoying person, working on your tone of voice, and trying to talk to that person in the same tone that you would use with your friends. Okay, that's a wonderful skill to have. It does make you patient with people, and it does go, and it helps you with your family too. And yeah. now you have a concrete way of practicing it, and you can look forward to the next meeting with that person saying, I know exactly what I'm going to practice. Now the challenge has moved to be within you. You are actively challenging yourself. And in a way, the worse the person is, the better, because <laughs> it's just going to give you better practice. And you know you've reframed something. If now you can say, the harder it is, the better, bring it on. Okay, so bring on the challenges. Yes. Okay, exactly. okay very good, very good. And that's the deepest essence of resilience, that the challenges bring out the best in you. At that point, you become what we call anti-fragile. An anti-fragile system, Nassim Tlaib has the wonderful book on this, is a system that gets stronger under stress. And that has to do with humans are anti-fragile if they continually have this positive way of reframing challenges as opportunities to grow. And it naturally means improving how you work, getting better at what you do, but that, that according to even higher ideals. Ideals are really the long-term growth in your character and organization. Okay, very good. Yeah, well, that certainly certainly resonates. And in optimal work, um, I know this this comes up in terms of a practical uh, approach to the tasks at hand, to the goals ahead in, in the coming day, uh, how you might might approach your work. Yeah. What um, can you tell us a little bit more about that and how that might tie in with what you've just been talking about? Yeah. So if you really want to get good at something, you need to practice it frequently. Let's say that a person is nervous about speaking in public and doing things. Well, if that person does it every you know two years, it's hard to get better at it. Mm -hmm. But if they did it daily, they'd become a pro at it pretty fast, really. So these skills of reframing challenges, setting a positive challenge for yourself that will stretch you, need to be practiced frequently. The best way of doing that is learning how to do it in your work mm -hmm. so that you turn an hour of work into a gym that is going to exercise you in the ways that you find best and most meaningful. So what optimal work is all about is essentially not just sitting down and working the way you always do, because that's the rote part, the automatic part, and it will not bring out the best in you. You might get things done, but you won't grow and things eventually get stale. Instead, it's about pausing, thinking about the next hour you're going to do, and turning into what we call a golden hour. That just means that you paused beforehand and deliberately shaped it. Now, we have three steps that if you follow these steps, not only does the task become new to you and open to growth in all these ways, you also go into flow. Flow is the state of mind in which you have your highest intelligence, your least distractibility and impulsivity, your best capacity to synthesize and engage the task at hand. Flow is the height of working at your best. Hmm. And even neurologically, there are reasons for these three steps in this order. Reframing the next hour of work into an opportunity to grow, mindfully bringing your attention out of your imagination, out of your head, completely into the present moment and holding it there, and then 
actively stretching yourself in the challenge. Reframing, mindfulness, challenge. Those are the three steps that if you learn to get practice at them, you can get practiced at entering flow at will. And flow there, I mean, is that kind of like getting in the zone when you talk yeah. about for, you know, sports yes. people and they get in this zone? Is, is, is that what you've just described there, something in a minute or two minutes that you put yourself in that? Sort of yeah. So usually it, it, it kind of depends on how distractible you are. Yeah. You know, so that if and how much you're dreading the task or reluctant to get engaged in it, how tempted you're going to be to multitask and to get off. I was just about to ask that actually. Multitasking doesn't sound like it fits in there uh, very easily. <laughs> yeah. So optimal work in my approach is all about how do you bring your highest intelligence into a task at hand? but you only have so much for that task. And if you do two tasks, you take your IQ and divide it by two. If you're doing three tasks, you divide it by three. You cannot give your full intelligence to multiple things at the same time. No one can. You can get good at switching quickly be you know, between things. You know, I, I think of like you know, doctors in the emergency room. Yeah, you have to deal with things, but while you're taking care of one patient, everything is on that patient, even if you have to rapidly switch to another. So. Switching uh, and giving your whole attention from one thing after another, I call that sequential unitasking. Mm. So, but it's a precondition to working at your best that you're working only on one thing. You're working on one thing, you've broken it down into some steps that you're going to follow. And then, as you put your whole attention into the first step, which is what mindfulness trains you to do, the next step kind of magnetically pulls your attention to it as you finish that step. Or the next one seamlessly and then the next step pulls you and the next step pulls you and you can learn to train yourself to get pulled through your tasks and that's how you go into flow okay okay um how important then are breaks in in all of that uh, i mean many people have the sense that they're just on all day from online yeah. uh, straight into home life you're working from home homeschooling caring for the family this it's all yeah. Yeah, work can become a kind of amorphous mess, you know, mm -hmm. just one large lump that goes through the whole day. And I call that, you know, doing a marathon. But I would, this way of working, what I'm talking about is more like taking sprints. You have a sprint and then you have a break and you have a sprint and you have a break. Uh, that is the way we're designed to work. You know, even our visual systems don't really allow us to have laser focus like you do when you're reading things all day long without a cost. Mm -hmm. But you have a tight focus on the work that you're doing. And then after say between you know, 45 minutes to 90 minutes, something like that, you have a complete stop and then do something, you know, you go for a walk, do something light, don't work, you know, don't do anything for 10 minutes or so. And then you come back, you set the stage briefly again and you're off. With that, you actually can have sustainable energy all day long. Okay, so you'd, you'd every hour takes some time. Yeah, so you need breaks between things. You know, it's great in companies that there's a kind of sometimes companies do this. They have a rule that meetings end five minutes before the hour, mm -hmm. always. So at least there's a five minute break if people have back to back meetings. Mm -hmm. You get much more out of the meetings. There yeah. is something about there's a certain skill here hidden in it which is actually stopping on time. Mm -hmm. Honoring a stop time for a period of work 
is super important because it means as you're going through the task and you have the steps you want to get through, you get an increase in adrenaline as that stop time approaches because you're, you know, there's, a, there's a hard stop. It's okay. like if you have a meeting and there's no stop time set for the meeting, well, then even if you have an agenda, it's going to feel like you're floating. But if there's a hard stop time, you'll everyone's you know, mind will help them to pull through and get through all the points of the agenda in the right pace. Mm-hmm. Well, that that uh, that's very useful, and it brings up the related topic of stretch goals. So, if you're setting setting yourself stretch goals, um, how mm-hmm. does that help in the intensity there of what you're talking about in in terms Absolutely. of meeting and optimal work? It's not just about settling into your own little flow of how I'm comfortable doing it at my pace, but yeah, it means. In some way, you have to really impact your way of working. Mm. So, for instance, even say in reading, if you if you have some article or report or chapter you have to you have to read, you could just do that the way you always do it, or you could think more intelligently about your way of going about reading this and think of what are your goals for getting out of it, and you'll find that there are better and better ways of reading. You know, of learning how to divide the text into little compartments before you start, mm-hmm. then and know to see the flow of the argument before you start, and then dive into the details one after another. Yeah. If you do that, you'll be able to remember the whole thing much better. So I want people to set stretch goals in the quality of how they do work, and what happens is you just stay engaged much more with the task because a precondition for flow actually is some internal challenge. For you to go into flow doing anything, it really is actually a function of the stretch goal you set for yourself in it. The better you hit the sweet spot of the stretch, and that can't be ridiculous. It can't be something that is totally beyond you. There is a sweet spot. Mm-hmm. You know, learning how to, but you know, just imagine if in every hour of work you stretched yourself to improve in one little way, like a 5% stretch, that adds up enormously as because you multiply hours of work day after day, week after week. Yeah, very good, very good. The and, stretch uh, actually is what sets how much you grow you okay. know, in any task. Just like if you're going to the gym, the stretch goal you set with the weights you're going to do or how fast you're going to run, that actually determines then how much you grow in it. So if you want to grow in your work, you need to have a deliberate stretch. Quality is best. Quantity can suffice if you can't think of, you know, if you can't think of a quality goal. Quality goal. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And and having a time limit, obviously, as well. So yes. not just the never ending up. Whenever I get to to the end, I'll finish. You yeah. you set a goal on it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And then you, you take a break and you just pick up where you left off. The better people are also taking the task they're going to work on and breaking it into some clear steps. Mm. The easier it is to come back to it, the easier it is to stop on time and then to restart it. And the easier it is to also make good use of small blocks of time when they have them. Okay. To put the first real skill of order, if you're going to do something, you know, you could think of all paying taxes. Okay, I have to do this. Maybe in procrastinating it. And the more you put it off, the, the more like a heavy lump it seems. And it actually puts you in a threat mode. Anytime you procrastinate, it puts you in a threat mode. Well, what you need to do is just break it into smaller steps. Even write it out. Take a notebook or use optimal work and break it down into smaller steps. That alone will allow you to work away at it. Say you have 10 extra minutes here, you have 15 extra minutes here, and if you have it already broken down, okay, I'm just gonna do this part. I'm just gonna reconcile my accounts. I'm just gonna go and categorize Quicken and, 
And you do it bit by bit, and then you find, wow, you've actually done a great deal, even maybe not even setting aside a time to do it. Because you put order into the task ahead of time by breaking it down into small parts that could be ordered. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good, very practical. Well, just to, one of the things that that usurps uh, a lot of people, including leaders, is is the whole area of distractions. So for for some, it's been exacerbated by working from home and additional distractions on top of the the normal ones. But uh, but often you hear as well. Uh, we have sense maybe that that technology is the problem or social media or emails or even colleagues mm-hmm. you know are distracting us from not making progress on our our priorities our important goals uh, mm-hmm. are we are we right to blame external things for our distractions or really is it more something coming from inside from our own attitude or mindset yeah, Ronan, I love that question. So uh, the distractions are always you. It's always internal. Okay. Uh, interruptions don't have to break flow at all. So you could be in flow and a colleague comes. The trick is you just have to give your whole attention to the person interrupting you. And then you put your whole attention back. You haven't broken flow at all. So that's different than a distraction. A distraction is a misstep. Okay, so this gets into a little bit of neuroscience. Uh, I'll just skim over the surface. But we actually have two types of attention. It's like a front brain attention and a back brain attention. The front brain attention is task attention and it's what you use when you're in flow. That's what you're conscious of using when you're in flow. The background attention is always predicting what is gonna come next And as it gets that prediction closer and closer, you start to feel that your task attention getting magnetically pulled to that predicted task. As long as you lay out the steps of a task you're going to work on in advance, your background attention knows what to predict. And so it can more easily pull you through those steps. The more you've set a little bit of a perimeter around your work, put your phone on do not disturb maybe, or you know, close out the programs you don't need, turn on, you know, sh- shut the email and the social media programs, so that you're kind of signaling to your predictor, hey, don't predict that, I'm not gonna do it. You have to shape your predictive attention, and you do that by setting a perimeter and laying out steps. Then it knows how to make the right prediction for what to do next, and you feel yourself get magnetically pulled to that next step. But if it doesn't know, let's say you have you know, sticky notes all around your screen reminding you of things, well, your predictive attention is going to wonder, where is he going next? What's he going to do? Oh, here's a sticky note, and you're going to be distracted by it. If you have anything on your desk, your predictive attention is going to be, oh, that must be contenders for this next hour of work, yeah. and you'll get pulled to them. Clear the desk, no sticky notes. Have just the thing you're going to work on in front of you to make the job easier for your predictor. Then, because a distraction simply is a misprediction. It thought there was something else that you wanted to do. And why did it think that? Because you trained it that way. You trained it that, for instance, if you get frustrated or stuck on the step, oh, that means it's time for Facebook. Oh, that means it's time for this. And then you get magnetically pulled to that other thing. Mm-hmm. But it's totally trainable. It's you. So it's, it's a large part of your intelligence, actually, you know, is, is what's happening in the background. So you just have to give it an easy job close things out, set the stage clearly for what you want to do, have the steps laid out, and just kind of have a goal you're trying to get to, and then it finds it easy. So what the challenge does, actually, is it kind of tells your predictive attention what you're trying to attain. 
That way, just like if you start a meeting and you have an agenda and a stop time, now the predictive attention of everyone in the room knows what's to be attained. Mm -hmm. And then it works to pull everyone together, each person's attention. So this is interesting, very interesting neuroscience, uh, but it's super practical. Super practical. It, once you learn how to train your predictive attention by putting order into the task, then you get continual intensity. Mm -hmm. I, I heard you talking at some point about um, the opposite of distraction, maybe being traction, you know, yeah. being pulled, pulled towards what you want to achieve rather than distraction is taking you away from from that, which is uh, I thought was good, very good. Uh, exactly. Idea. No, uh, yeah, traction comes from, you know, just having broken things down in advance. So you have a clear strategy and then you get traction and you get eventually momentum. And that's what actually flow is. Flow is when you have that momentum in the task. If you get if you get slippage and you just don't know where to go, okay, you just need to re-strategize. And uh, there is something sometimes people can have in work where it's hard to lay out the steps in advance. Then it's more important that you have a sense of the ultimate place you want to get in this, because mm -hmm. maybe the way you were trying to go isn't the best way. And sometimes you can feel like you're in a cloud of unknowing. Yeah. But you just have to make sure you have a sense of what's the right direction. It's like you know being stuck in a cloud in a mountain. At least need to keep sent, feeling your way through until you find a clear path up. Very good, very good. Well, one of the just to move on a little bit to um, one of the purposes of Timney Leadership Institute is help people prioritize people over projects, over things, and uh, first of all, leaders themselves and their own self awareness and those mm -hmm. that they're working with. But um, what what would you say is the the pursuit of outcomes in our work, uh, particularly as leaders, is is a very important uh, fact of life. It's, it's yeah. there. Um, how what role does that play in in setting priorities and how that relates to prioritizing people? Yeah, no, it's a super important question. I, I can only give a brief outline here of, of mm -hmm. an answer. Um, there is actually a podcast on this, uh, you know, that I have in the, in the Golden Hour or on YouTube. It, you just look up the channel for optimal work, and it's, I think it's called "Putting People Over Projects." Mm -hmm. So, and you have you think of these two categories, people and projects, and then think of ends and means. If you turn outcomes, the project, into an end, then people become means, and you're just using them. But if people are your end, then the projects, the outcomes are just means of serving them. That fits because outcomes are actually only means to an end. The end is actually the people. It could be your own, yourself, your own growth. It can be your family and how you are better able to be with them because you worked well through the day. It can be the your coworkers, the clients, customers, you know, that uh, but people are actually the only real ends that we confront in work. Mm -hmm. Everything else is a means. And so you can be flexible then, you know, with outcomes, uh, because really ultimately it's about the people. If you turn outcomes into ends in themselves, they become rigid. And then people don't really fit. And you end up just doing things to accomplish them, which is just to get them done, which means essentially no meaning anymore. No real, no humanity, no real human value in it. You know, and so it's a impoverished way of working, just getting things done. Mm. Even just think of like, you know, even if you're thinking of say, say you have to, 
tell a loved one, you know, something you've really, you, you really feel you have to say something to them. If you just get that done, you're just going to say the words. If you're really aiming though, to show your love for them and concern for them, you're going to take much more care of how you say it and your whole manner of saying it. You're going to more effectively communicate with them, even in just communicating getting it done just by getting the words out is not the main problem. It's, it's really, it's about the, you know, it's the, the warmth and the ideals that you're conveying by doing it. That's what matters. Very good. And, and I suppose the, you know, achieving outcomes, they're, they're throughout our whole life. They're endless. They keep, keep arising things to be done things. So I suppose it's, it's how we do that is, uh, is also where we will find fulfillment. Yes. And yeah. ideals are endless but in an encouraging way you can never say oh now i'm like patient enough now i'm loving enough I've, I've i've attained that no it's always you know that there's there's deeper and deeper ways of growing in wisdom and prudence and understanding all these things very good but it's it's encouraging and motivating to see yourself making progress towards those 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 high ideals outcomes are also endless because as soon as you attain one it loses all value and now you have to set another one and then you get there and it loses value and you attain another one. And it's, it's a negative kind of infinity. Even if, even if they're very satisfying outcomes, brief. Brief. satisfaction is always short term, short term. Yeah. Meaning is long term. Very good. Well, I see this as a couple of questions in, but one that, uh, Ivan asks about essentially, do you believe there's a limit to our growth? As you're achieving not uh, according to ideals in certain skills maybe even there you know is there a limit to any particular skill yeah maybe but uh but for ideals no you can always grow in ideals and that's partly what makes ideals the source of unlimited energy so we get energy we get dopamine from making progress towards goals that matter mm -hmm. if those goals are growing in ideals as long as you're growing in the ideal, you get dopamine, which means you feel renewed and you feel refreshed mm -hmm. and you feel a drive. So ideals actually supply endless drive. So outcomes, you get drive until you obtain them and then the drive is gone and you have to set a new outcome. And then you, but it's also tends to be short term things. I mean, in the end, all things like, you know, even like, you know, to get the promotion, to make more money, all of that is just like short-term things. Once you get them, they lose their value. It is their value. Ideals, ideals are always long-term. And they, and they help us keep growing, keep serving, keep coming back. Mm. Exactly. Ideals actually are like, you're learning to shape the process rather than the outcome. Outcome. Yeah. And by working on the process, you actually get the best outcomes too. You know, it's like, if you're trying to like, you know, um, you know, to hit a bullseye, you know, with the bow and arrow, it's much more important that you shape your process, the form, how you're, you're doing it, than just seeing, did I get, the, you know, did I happen to get a bullseye that time? Yeah. If you, if you just focus on, or like a tennis swing or golf swing, if you just focus on the form and getting better and better at aspects of it, you end up getting better and better outcomes eventually. Very good. Very good. So what, what's the best legacy a, a leader can aim for then? I think an organization that has a culture of growth mm. that fosters the people with an entrepreneurial spirit, not to outcomes and making money, but to actually growth in the people and in the culture of the company. Mm. So continuous learning is a key part of that. Mm. Exactly. Very yeah. good. Very good. 
Well, another question here from uh, uh, Santiago who asks about how can we help people better to in our teams to respect the work-life balance during lockdown, which a lot of people are putting in more hours, but maybe less quality. Any thoughts yeah, on that? I, yeah, my, I think that having an end time for the day will get everyone working better. And I think that's become more and more common. You know, I, I'm in Cambridge, uh, and so we have like a lot of startups here. It's like the East Coast Silicon Valley, but they do something very well. You know, which is there is a start time to the day, and an end time to the day, and that's a very common thing in these in the in these younger companies. And you get better work right done because if there's no end time to the day, then one afternoons will lose their intensity. If you know that you have, you're going to work on this until five or five thirty, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. and then you're and you're done after that, you actually have a much better sense of challenge in the afternoon, and you are the work is much, much higher quality. So you don't get more work out of people by having longer hours, not yeah. at all. You can only have so many good golden hours in a day. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a very good note, maybe to, to wrap up because we are getting to the end of the day here. <laughs> I know you're only halfway through there in, in Boston. Exactly. But yes. Thank you very much for sharing those insights with us uh, today. I, I know there's a lot more behind the scenes there that merits reflecting on and thinking about. But where, where can people find out more about your work and the, the tools that you, you were suggesting there? So there is optimalwork.com. Mm. You know, which has some of the tools that I've been talking about how to set up a golden hour. Inside of Optimum Work, though, there's something that we've created called the Masterclass. And the Masterclass is a four-week training program building step-by-step. We took the whole process of total growth and broke it down into smaller steps and arranged them in the easiest way to go through. And so it takes about 15, 20 minutes in the morning to do. People can, once they get the Masterclass, they can do it at their leisure. You could do it once a week or you could do it, you know, five days a week and it's, it's there, but that leads them through the process of growing. And now we've had a lot of people go through the masterclass and we measure their growth. We have a measure called the inventory just to say it's phenomenal. The, 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 the quality of the growth people get because the masterclass gives them all the concepts bit by bit cause and effect to see how to really work at their best and live at their best. Fantastic, fantastic, great. Well, we'll we'll uh, we'll put links up to that in in due course. So thank you very much for for that, and thank look forward to, to exploring it further. Before uh, we we close up, I'd like to remind you that next uh, Wednesday we have our uh, masterclass, our own masterclass with um, Valeria Fratocci, who will be discussing a case study featuring some real challenges around uh, our new way of of working remotely and online. Uh, there's still a handful of places uh, available if you'd like to to attend and you can find out more more details on our website and then in uh, march we will be joined by professor rory mcdonald from the the harvard business school uh, he'll be exploring what can be learned from the parrot drone case uh, study which you wrote last year which asks questions about how to compete and how to win and when market conditions change in in a significant way as indeed they they have for uh, for many of us. And lastly, then we we've opened up our applications process for the 2021 edition of the Advanced Leadership Program, uh, starting next September. So if you or a colleague are interested in 
taking ownership for your continuous learning and the year ahead, I'd, uh, I'd encourage you to get in touch and explore that further uh, so that you're ready to take up the opportunity when, when uh, conditions allow. Today's session will also be available as a podcast on, uh, on all the main podcast channels and the Timoney Leader, Leadership Institute podcast. Please do subscribe to it and, and share it if you, uh, if you like. Thank you again to, to all of you, our, our listeners, and especially to Dr. Kevin Majors uh, for his generosity in, in sharing insights with us. Uh, we look forward to, uh, to having you back again soon and uh, take care and, and stay positive. Uh, or maybe is it negative? Uh, anyway, have a good, good evening. This podcast was brought to you by Timony Leadership Institute. Better people, better organisations, better society.